Good morning. I want to remind you to continue to keep uh, reading prayer. He's uh, a little under the weather today, so I will ask the Lord to speedily speed up his recovery and be able to get back into the swing of things. you pray with me, please? Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I trust your Bible to turn to our text this morning, Psalm 34. And... If you don't know it by now, life will be interesting in the the days ahead. There will be days when your washer and your dryer and perhaps your water heater will all go down on the same day. Maybe there will be instances where you are trying to get to a very important appointment. Maybe you've been out of work for a while and you're looking for a, a job and you're on your way and all of a sudden you have a flat tire on the way there. Life is full of ups and downs, highs and lows. And if you live life for any length of time, you know that there are tribulations and there are trials that come in life. You're expecting a curve, or you're expecting a fastball, and life throws you a different type of pitch. And you're wondering, where did that ever come from? You understand at any, if you've been on this planet for any length of time, you've, you've learned that this planet, this life can be the school of hard knocks. There are things that we have to learn the hard way. There are good times. I don't want to just paint a total black picture, but you and I both know that there seems to be times when things just don't go our way. And this is why I like the Psalms, because they're written by people who knew this firsthand. They wrote about them. They put them in a diary for us so that we could see their reaction and their interaction with what was going on in their lives so that we could reap the benefits of what they learned. That's the wonderful thing about God's Word, that it is profitable for everything. It's given to us so that we may learn and and to read about what they what they felt and how and what they did in the midst of it. And they gave us reflections of, of how and why they did things. And Psalm thirty four, according to many commentators, was birthed by a moment in David's life where he had to feign insanity. If you aren't familiar with, with David and his life, David was on the run from King Saul, who was sort of like a, a maniac on steroids. He was hunting David all over the place. And he was running out of caves to hide. I mean, you can only hide in the same cave one or twice before, before they catch on. So he decided, he cooked up this plan. He said, I know what I'll do. I'll go in and I'll line up with the Philistines. And things were going along pretty well until somebody noticed him and said to the king of the Philistines, he said, hey, isn't this the man by which they said Saul killed his thousands, but... David has slain his ten thousands? Are you sure he, you want him in our camp? I mean, what if we get in the midst of the fight and all of a sudden he reveals our strategy? Well, David kind of knew what was coming along. So what he did, he allowed 
spit to run down his, his uh, beard and he began to scratch on the, on the door and he began to act like, a, like a, an, an insane person. And the king of Philistines said, well, I already have enough of these, let them go. And so this is what most commentators would say that this was what the Psalms was about. But one thing we do know, David wrote this psalm to describe a low tide in his life. Things were bumpy, not smooth. He was experiencing some choppy waters. And he's get, we can uh, get that idea because he says in verses 6 and 7, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. In verse 7, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. And if you go down further into the psalm, verses 17 and 19, you hear the righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Well, the question for us this morning is, how do we respond to the times of testing? What should we do? We will all face a trial or two the longer we live, and how we respond will either add blessings or they will add consequences. So in our text this morning, we see three appropriate responses to trials and tribulation. Our first response to trouble is to bless the Lord. You'll see that in verse 1. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. But what is David communicating to us? What's he asking us to do? What is he exhorting us to, to carry out? He's not only telling us what to do, but how. First, you see, it is a willful, deliberate posture. So how can we bless the Lord rightly? What does it mean to bless the Lord? I mean, when we look at the Lord, He is perfect. He's nothing that He needs. But yet, we are exhorted to bless the Lord. How does that happen? Why does that happen? What does it mean? How can we bless Him? Well, to bless God simply means to praise Him or to honor His name. The Hebrew word translated blessed in the Old Testament literally means to kneel, indicating the idea of honoring the Lord. The word blessed is the same word used in Genesis 24, verse 11, where it tells us that the camels knelt down. It's a verb, an action word. And this is the attitude we need in our hearts, a humility that is deliberate and willful on our part. We will say, I will humble myself under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he may lift us up. It's a frame of mind. An intent to hallow the, hallow the name of the Lord. Remember how the Lord taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be his name. And this is the same thing. We are giving him honor. We are giving him blessing. And we're giving him praise and adoration and glory to the one who deserves it all. Hear David in verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. For those who fear him, there is no want. And then in verse 11, he says, Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Humility is a product of reverence and awe of the Lord. Is the Lord still awesome in your mind? Is he still awesome before you? Is he the one that you consider to be most awesome? 
that He deserves it all. We humble ourselves before Him knowing His greatness and our frailty. He is great. Greater than anything that we could ever imagine. He deserves our humility. Secondly, it is a deliberate, willful choice. David says, I will bless the Lord. David pronounces before us he does it because he wants to do it. He's not doing it with teeth gritted. He's doing it because he wants to. It's on his mind. It's in his heart. It's in his very fiber to bless the Lord. He said, I will willfully and deliberately do this. Because it's something that he deserves and something that I want to to do. And he does it even when the circumstances are not the best. And we have to realize that our lives, our blessing of the Lord cannot be held hostage to the circumstances of our lives. If we waited until we felt like praising God, it may be far and few between. But we are to do it all under Him. Praising and blessing the Lord cannot be dependent on our emotions and feelings. It's an act of our will. I will bless the Lord. It's what Moses commanded Israel to do in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. It's what Joshua proclaimed when he said to Israel, he said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It is an act of our will. It's a deliberate choice. Just like what God did for us when he chose us in Christ. It was a deliberate act on his part. He wanted to do so. Put your trust in God. It's like... What he says in Psalm 42, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Put your hope in God. There's a lot to be down about at times if you were to listen to the news. But I want to exhort you to bless the Lord because He is great and worthy of our praise. And it's what the Lord expects from His people. The Psalms are filled with commands to bless the Lord. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Remember, we used to sing those songs. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. And then, O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. O ye who fear the Lord, Bless the Lord. No one can do this for you. It's something that we must do as individuals. Think of Paul and Silas, who had a terrible beating, took a terrible whooping, and they were thrown in jail. But it says at midnight, they sang songs and spiritual hymns unto the Lord. Now, if that was me... I don't know if I'd be so quick to do that. Sometimes you'll be like David in the cave of Adullam, where everybody wants your head. Everybody wants you to be responsible for what's going wrong. Everybody wants you to bear the brunt of their misgivings and lies. Maybe you have a boss who has it in his mind to blame you for everything that goes on 
goes wrong in, in the office. Maybe you have a sibling or maybe you have an in-law, whoever it may be, who's determined to make sure that you're the one, you have a very responsible position. Anything that's wrong, you're responsible. What did David do? He encouraged himself in the Lord. And it's an act of a will. It's a deliberate choice. Thirdly, it is a willful, deliberate lifestyle. His praise, his blessing shall continually be in my mouth. Does this mean that we walk around yelling hallelujah all day? Does this mean that we walk around on our knees all day? No. What it means is that we have a mindset, a condition of the heart that is part of our fiber. That is something that we do second nature. The idea is similar to First Thessalonians chapter five verse seventeen, which says, "Pray without ceasing." And you know that means to have the mindset. It doesn't mean that you that you spend all your day on your knees, at least not physically postured, but it's in your heart. It's a lifestyle. Uh, uh, and a mindset. And you see the themes of this continually in the Psalms. For your homework this afternoon, you can look at Psalm 35, verse 27, and Psalm 40, verse 16, and Psalm 70, verse 4, and 71, verse 16. What David is driving home is the fact that we are not dependent upon circumstances, but it is a part of our everyday life, regardless of the circumstances. Albert Byrne says, people who have no real piety, but who make pretensions to it, are disposed to praise and bless the Lord in times of sunshine and prosperity. True piety always regards him as worthy of praise. It doesn't matter what, what you're doing or what position you're in. In the storm as well as in the sunshine. In the dark night of calamity as well as in the bright days of prosperity. And of course we have a great case study of this, don't we? If you turn to Job chapter 2, please. Job 2, verse 7. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore, with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of pottery to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Then his loving, exhorting, encouraging wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he, Job, said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And in all the days, Job did not sin with his lips. It is a deliberate mindset. It is part of who we are. Secondly, our response is to boast in the Lord. Look in verse 2. My soul will make its boast in the Lord, and the humble will hear it and rejoice. So what are we doing when we boast in the Lord? We're bragging on God. We're bragging about the Lord. You see the distinction here, don't you? 
David was not bragging on himself. He was boasting over the fact of how great, uh, not over the fact of how great he was, but he was placing his success on solely where it truly belongs, the Lord. Now, we are braggers by nature. We brag about our salaries. We brag about our football teams. We brag about our jobs. We brag about our, our, our cars. We brag about our kids. I see your bumper stickers all over the county. You know, my kid is this, my kid is that. and You know, we brag on them. We, we don't have any problems doing that. We brag about the latest... Uh, book that we bought, whatever it is. We brag brag about our grades, our income. We like to boast about the things that we place value on. And so what David is saying is that we should not boast about anything but how great the Lord is. This is what we should be bragging about. We should be boasting about how good the Lord is. How He is our protector, our refuge, our provider, our healer, our savior, our peacemaker. The one who will fight our battles. Those are the things that we should be bragging on. The fact that how great He is. How awesome He is. How magnificent He is. How wonderful He is to deliver us every time we ask. And even in the times when we are so weak that we can't even bring ourselves to do it, He is there. He is our great and high tower. He's all of those things that we need. The ones who have fight our battles. The fact that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We should remind our enemy of this every time he comes sneaking around to bring it down. Our God is great. He's faithful. He's merciful. Those are the things that He is. And you know what? When we begin to bless the Lord, deliberately bless Him, and begin to brag on Him, we begin to have our eyes on Him, and where are the stormy waves? Nowhere. Because our eyes are on Him. We see the greatness of Him. We are almost like Peter who we can walk on the waters. But when did Peter begin to sink? Is when he kept his eyes off the Lord. When do we begin to get discouraged? When do we get downtrodden? When do we begin to think that life is a bummer? Is when we begin to take our eyes off of God. And we forget to bless Him. And we forget to brag about Him. And we forget to tell ourselves the gospel. When we're bragging on God, our eyes are no longer under troubles, but the Lord. The psalmist here says that when he did this, it would not be wealth or strength to which he would refer. It would not be his rank or position inside it. It would, would not be what he had done, nor what he had gained as pertaining to his life. His joy would spring from the fact that there was a God that he was such a God, and that he could regard him as his God. God is your God this morning if you are in Christ. He's all yours. And nothing can come in between you and him. The fact that there was a God, and that he was such a God, and that he could regard him as his God, this would be his chief distinction that on which he would value himself most. What brings you peace of mind? 
What gives you value? What is it that you cling on to? Is it the fact that you are His? Those are the things that we have to remember to brag about. Of all the things that we can possess in this world, the crowning distinction is that we have a God and that He is such a being as He is. Why should we boast? Well, the humble will hear it and rejoice. Did you know that blessing and bragging and praising is infectious? Just like when we share this most communicable disease called the cold. This is just that it will encourage others who are poor of spirit, those who are struggling, those who are hurting. I mean, when people leave your presence, are they downtrodden or are they encouraged? We have a responsibility to think about those around us. Are we infecting them with negativity? Are we joining in with CNN and Fox News and, and all of the rest? Are we in their camp saying, this is the worst world we could ever live in? Or are we living in a world that this is my father's world and he is in charge? That he is a mighty God. That he's a wonderful God. That he's our God. And when we begin to think about that and when we begin to share that with one another, that's why we come together as a body so that we can infect one another with praising and blessing and lifting and exalting the Lord. Because you know what? Sometimes when I come through the door, I could be playing handball against the curb. But when I'm with you, And when I begin to hear the praises of the people, and when I begin to be reminded of how great God is, I begin to say, the light begins to flicker. And then the flicker turns into a flame, and before you know it, hallelujah, I begin to remember who God is. We have a responsibility to those around us. us. Are we infecting them with negativity? And do we moan and groan about how bad things are? Or are we going to remember the greatness of our God? People need to be reminded of how good God is. And hear the words that David writes in Psalm 34. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angels of the Lord encamped around about them that fear him and deliver him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints, for there is no want for them. They fear Him. Your young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Now, I'm not calling you to, for you to put on rose-colored glasses. I'm not asking you to be Pollyannas. I'm not asking you not to deal with reality. I'm just asking you to bring God into it. The greatness of God and who He is so that we can see once again that we can have hope, a great hope. We, have a, we are, can be faithful witnesses of God and bring folks to remember that the Lord is able to deliver. If you would turn to Second Corinthians chapter 4, please. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, 
perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, so that grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Here's a man who knew what it was like to be downtrodden. And I want to tell us that there's no one, no one more dangerous than a Christian who actually believes who God is, who he says he is. There's no one more dangerous than a Christian who actually believes God is who he says he is. Well, thirdly, our third response is to magnify the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. There's two things we need to understand here and to bring them home to our hearts. First, our magnification must be telescopic in nature, not microscopic. In other words, you must look through a telescope, not through a microscope. What do I mean here? Well, there are two primary ways that I know how to magnify things. One under a microscope and another one through a telescope. Now, when you were in science, we all went to lab and we all had our telescopes and we all had to get this little slide and we looked through the telescope and we, uh, through the microscope and we had to get it into focus. We had a picture, we had, a, I had to look at an amoeba or an onion skin or whatever it was. It was a small object. And so in order to see that very small object, we had to magnify it many, many times in order for us to see it. So that's what we did. We magnified it, and we looked at it, and we got it all squared away. And we were blowing it up so that we could see it. Well, the one thing that we have to understand, we didn't increase the size of it. When we took it, that slide out from the, from the microscope, guess what? It's still a tiny little thing. We had to magnify it in order to see it. But it was still small. It was still puny. It was still naked to the, to the human eye. You haven't increased the size of it. You just blew it up for the size for all to see. After all, an amoeba is still an amoeba. Once you take the, the off of the microscope. The telescope, on the other hand, is bringing into focus a big object so that we could all see. When we look into the sky and we look at all the planets in there, what are we trying to do? We're trying to bring in the grandeur of that object. We're trying to see the actual size. But we can't see it because it's so far away. 
But when we look at the, through the telescope, we can see the bigness of it. We can see the grandeur of it. We can understand, wow, this thing is really big. It didn't increase the size of it. It just brought us closer so that we could actually see it. And this is what, this is what we need to do. We, you haven't changed the size of the object. You just brought the size into focus so that all can see the grandeur. And this is what we do when we bless the Lord, when we praise Him, when we beg or, and boast about Him. We are bringing into focus for all to see the glory and the majesty of God. Why do we go to the Grand Canyon? Because it's magnificent. It's awesome. And we see it. And we're moved by that. Why do we bless the Lord? Why do we brag on Him? Because we want people to see how great and how wonderful God is. So we have to be like telescopes and bring that grandeur into the midst of the people that we're in. We're bringing into focus for all to see clearly who this great God is. Now, the word magnify means to make great. And then to make great in the, in the view of mind or to regard the, the thing and treat it as great. We must treat God as he is great. We must magnify him, exalt him, blow him up, brag about him, do whatever we can so that people can see the majesty and the wonder of who God is. The idea is that he wished all in circumstances similar to those in which he had been placed to have a just sense of the greatness of God and of his claim to love and praise. We can't do it with a microscope. We have to be a telescope. We have to bring God into focus. Secondly, magnifying the Lord isn't about you. In the year 2013, there was a a word added to the Oxford Dictionary. And that word was selfie. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen it all over. If you've been on Facebook, you see it. If you've been on the news, you see it. If you've seen our president, he's done it. And of course, selfie is what? It's all about us, isn't it? Look at me. I'm in this presence. But just as, you remember that line in the League of Their Own? There's no crying in baseball. Are you crying? There's no crying in baseball. Well, there's no selfies in the kingdom of God. There's no selfies here. There's only God. There's no room for anybody else but God. There's no selfies here. We have to understand that being a Christian isn't about us. It's about Him and how great He is and how awesome He is and how great He is. And of course, selfie describes the society. Everything is about the individual, myself and me. And of course, if we're not careful, we can bring this into the church. Of course, it might already be here. We're like a shopping mall mentality in America. Do you have fast music or do you have slow music? Do you have traditional music or do you have that rock and roll stuff? Do you have 
Do you have this program or do you have that program? Do you have this or that? And if you don't have this, guess what? I'm not going to come. After all, it's all about me, isn't it? If you don't have what I want, well, I have God. We have a magnificent God. We have an awesome God. Well, I'm sorry. You don't have a program for teenagers. So you move on to the next door. There's no selfies in the kingdom of God. There's only God. There's only room for God. Now we see we have to have everything that we do built around God. You notice through the psalm that David is making sure that others hear him. About who? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in within me. Exalt his holy name. You notice through this psalm that David is making sure that others hear him. That his joy is to be spread to others. David is saying, let us unite in lifting his name. That is, raising it above all other things in our own estimation. And in the view of our fellow men. And so making it known that... It shall rise above every other object that all may see Him. That all may see Christ. That they may be drawn to Christ. That we may bless Him. That we may glorify Him. That we may brag on Him. That we may magnify Him. That's what it's about. John Gill said there is more pleasure as well as more glory brought to God by doing this in a social way. Meaning when we get together... It's not about us. It's about Him. It's about Christ. It's about whether He gets the glory. It's not a matter of who can preach well. It's a matter of who has presented God well. So that you would leave this place saying, I've been with God. I've seen Him high and lifted up. I've seen Him exalted so that my soul can rejoice and knowing that there is a God and that He is a living God. We are saved into a body. We're not selfies. We've been saved in a body meant to be knitted together. Individuals, yes, but knitted together to glorify Him that we may all exalt His name together so that we can join in and celebrate the Lord, so that we can get other people. And of course, it's also a great way to evangelize when we begin to exalt the Lord. If you turn to Psalm 96, please. Verse 1, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless His name. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. Tell of His glory among who? The nations, the Gentiles, the unsaved. Tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all the people. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared among all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, they're nothing. Our God is great. And He has great things to bring. 
So when we begin to bless the Lord, when we begin to brag about Him, when we begin to magnify Him, people will see that there is a difference. Well, let's wrap this up. Well, this psalm is about close escapes from affliction and trial. Verse 19 states plainly, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Maybe you're one of them, but there are many Christians who think, I trusted in Christ as my Savior, and I'm trying to follow Him, so why am I having all these trials? I mean, after all, shouldn't I be in a bubble? After all, shouldn't I be protected from life? Shouldn't I have everything, sunshines and roses and sunshine lollipops? We sometimes mistakenly think that following Christ means that we, He puts a protective shield around us so that trials just bounce off. But Paul told the young converts in the churches that he founded, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Peter wrote to a suffering church, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which come among you for your testing as if some strange things were happening to you. So what's our response? Bless the Lord, for He is a great God. Bless the Lord. Boast of Him. Brag on Him. Tell everybody how great He is. Tell each other. Tell your soul. Whoever will listen, tell of the greatness of God. And yes, magnify His greatness. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Let's praise. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the God who you are. Of how great you are. And how well you have dealt with us. And how you have brought us through many trials and tribulations. And may we bless your name. May we boast of your name to ourselves and to others. And may we magnify your name that all people would see how great you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
all have a great day. You are dismissed.